Welcome to the Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on the Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? All the junk that we have about money. So 100 million years ago, when I was a young whippersnapper, one of my first jobs was like real jobs after college jobs was helping to train folks to raise money for nonprofit organizations and the nonprofit organization that i was working for at the time almost all of the money came from individuals and so we would go to people's homes and ask them for money and if you had given fifty dollars in the mail Statistically, you could give 10 or 20 times that much if properly motivated. And so we would start by asking people for $2,500. And so I would be training, I was like 25, and I would be training these young folks, mostly women, how to go into people's homes and ask them for $2,500. And we did a lot of work in the beginning really working on sorting out all of the fear and crap that we have about money. Like if I go into somebody's house and I ask them for money and I ask them for a lot of money, they're going to be offended. They're going to be mad at me. They're going to like take out a gun. These were actual responses that people had when we were brainstorming what's going to happen when you ask people for money. It was all of this negative stuff. And the reality is, again, actually because of the crap that we have about money, when we went in and asked people for a lot of money, people were usually flattered, like that you thought that they could give this much money, whether they could or they couldn't. So I am now working on a project of getting a handle on my finances because I own a business and I have a husband and an elderly dog and a cat and there's expenses to all of those things. And I'm really working on figuring out exactly what are the costs of the business What are the costs that I have control over? What are the static costs? And then what are the optional costs? What are the things that I'm doing that I might or might not decide to keep doing, both in my business and in my home life? 
Which brings me right to my guest for today. Sarah Carlson is a thought leader, writer, and financial planner. She helps great people get a handle on their money and work towards the goal of living their very best lives. Although many people think money can't buy happiness, Sarah knows from experience, it can certainly help. My mom and I say that all the time. Like, money is not going to fix it, but it could certainly make the situation better. The other side of the coin is that with money, with wealth, often comes anxiety, especially for those people who don't know the ins and outs of financial planning and investments and money management. The reality is, y'all, money does not solve problems, but good advice does. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Oh, thank you, Janine. Thank you so much for having me. You are more than welcome. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Right. I loved your intro and unpacking it. We as women, so many times we are fearful about talking about money. So what a neat experience for you to be able to early in your career, be put in a situation where you could kind of push your boundary for that. I'm always so surprised how especially women are so fearful about talking about money. And so many times they're willing to share themselves in other ways, other than in a relationship. They're more willing to share their bodies and have sex than talk about their income and how much they have in savings or debt, right? As a society, we tend to create taboos around something that really shouldn't have a taboo. Yeah. I mean, we've got so much shame and blame and like mischief that gets created around money. I remember back when I was doing those trainings, one of the things that almost every time I would do it, and I worked for this organization, I led their fundraising programs for about five years. And I did a new training probably every two months. So I probably did about 30 of these over the course of that time. And almost every time someone would come up with the line, well, money is the root of all evil. And my grandpa was a minister and the line comes from the Bible, but that's not the line. Like that's the part that we remember. The important part about the line is actually love of money is the root of all evil. And so we've dropped the first two words that actually it's the coveting of money. It's the things that we will do to get money and void out who we are as people. It's the way that money can override our values and our sense of ourselves and So it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. One of my friends often says money is energy and it flows in and it flows out. But we've got all of this. If we have debt, we think we're bad. If we do things that looking back on them, we think, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that that way. 
we feel guilty or we feel shameful about it. We've got all this nonsense about money that then gets in the way of us having healthy, productive relationships with money. You're absolutely right. Well, and that's why I wrote the book that's coming out this fall, Facing Financial Fears, Eight Steps to Financial Freedom for Women. Oh, brilliant. Because as you're right, I mean, so much it's mapped in childhood, things you're told, whether it's in church or your parents. So many women in particular were kind of raised to kind of budget, be mindful of their pennies. Whereas little boys have been encouraged to take more risk, invest, grow it like a different way of coming at money. And yet money, it doesn't buy happiness, but it certainly can help you choose how you spend your time, where you spend your time, who you spend it with, and for how long. And don't all of us want to have some control over our life? So I believe firmly that the more you can kind of control your money, because there's so few things we can control in life, I believe you can control your money provided you have some systems and have some steps you can take for financial independence. You can control those things that will help you live a a happier life because everyone's final destination or, or current lifestyle is slightly different. It sure is a lot less stressful knowing if you have those base expenses taken care of that you can take resources and spend money on that to go see your parents, take that vacation. But it is, you know, and as women too, another thing I've really seen in my practice, I've been in the financial industry for my entire career. I'm mm. the privilege of helping so many amazing people. I've been doing it long enough that I've really seen how good money strategies and relationship with money can transform and lift people up in their journey. So much of helping people get to the right spot, though, is to have some systems in place that can help them take that first step. As women, we so many times we think we're going to have more time. We're willing to take care of our children, our dogs, our spouses, our clients, our boss. And we always think we're going to have more time, more energy, more resources to take care of our own needs. And part of what I like to advocate is to help people take care of themselves, make sure they prioritize themselves. I believe the journey from being fearful about money to being joyful and love about money is a series of curious steps. And it doesn't take a big action, but it does take some action to make a step towards getting more control on your finances. I've met so many incredibly successful people, many times women, many times entrepreneurs, and they don't look at their statements, right? Not just investment statements, but their credit card statements. It's almost like in a state of denial that if they, or maybe that they'll make time to deal with that later (laughs) on. So a lot of times with those people who are kind of on this hamster wheel, working so hard, working their business making good money, but don't have anything to show for it. Part of it is a matter of post and planning, helping them develop some systems where looking at those expenses, your visa, for example, your expenses, you're not liable for any wrong charges. But if you don't review those statements, how are you going to know that you're a victim of, of fraud? Or how do you know that maybe a vendor charged you more than they should have? 
So that's where I think having some basic systems where you can post and plan for a lot of our clients, they'll, they'll do it weekly. Well, they'll take a look at those statements and then kind of do an audit. It makes it a lot easier than to hand it over to the bookkeeper to be able to just be more proactive on your savings. I love that. So let's get into it a little bit. If folks are out there and listening like, oh, that's me. I don't do such a good job at looking at my statements or at really making a financial plan for myself. And it's so funny. My dad and his sister are very, very different people. Like put two people in a room the two of them could not be more different one from the other. Their political values are diametrically opposed. Just sort of like everything about how they approach life is different. And one of the ways that that played out is that my aunt, who I adore, who has since actually passed away from COVID, she really loved stuff. She loved stuff. And so her home, she had a beautiful home that she built. She and her husband designed it and built it right on one of the many lakes in Georgia. Big house, big, big showy house full of lots of stuff. She and her husband and each of their children drove enormous SUVs. Like they could each put a family of 10 in their SUVs, but it's just them driving around in their SUVs. My dad, on the other hand, doesn't value stuff. And so my parents have a perfectly nice home and they have one car between the two of them. It's a Honda. You know, it's fine. It's 10 years old, maybe more than that. But what they really valued were experiences. And so we as a family took all kinds of trips and had wonderful meals places. So they really valued that. Plus they really value charitable contributions. And that's something that they've very much passed down to me. It's an important part of my value system, part of why I work for nonprofits for so long, and still an important part of how I spend my money is through charitable giving. And I don't have a lot of stuff. Like I'm wearing this beautiful necklace and I think it cost me $20. (laughs) And I am planning a vacation with my husband and not through COVID, but in non-COVID years, we try and get away at least twice a year because that's part of how I like to spend money. And so I also think that that is really interesting. And part of what I love about what you're up to is really helping people figure out what are their values that get expressed through the way that they spend their money. Right. That is, and it's, um, you're right. Everyone's so different. Some people get a lot of value out of buying jewelry, whereas others would rather spend the $5,000 a take to buy diamond earrings and and go to Europe instead. And people are so different. And it's so important that people recognize kind of their base of what they have to have and then then what they want to have. And there's a lot of people that live on debt and they're constantly rolling one debt to another without really understanding the impact. They treat their banker with more respect than they treat themselves. 
I call it the giant sucking sound that debt can create. (laughs) Credit card companies, what do they pay you on your savings? Financial institutions will pay you maybe 1%, even with inflation as high as it is now. And yet, if you have a credit card with them and you carry a balance, many times those same banks will charge you 30% for the privilege of owing them money. So having people be proactive on it, because with the right overall plan, I mean, the ideal would be that you save for those excursions before you go. You pay for the plane ticket, you pay for the accommodations, you pay for the earrings before you wear them. Um, society is like that though, right? Right. A lot of people get caught up and then before you know it, they're wanting to back off, but they can't back off because they owe so much. So there's basic steps that people can take. The first thing is to get real and understand where you are. And that's part of the unveiling, whether it's like right now with the market so volatile and we've had a huge decline, people are afraid to look at their statements. And what people forget, for some reason, when if suddenly the trip you wanted to take was on sale, you might decide to buck up and go ahead and buy the tickets and invest in that for your next adventure. As investors, we don't look at that with our investments. When the stock market's down, we don't look at it like, wow, you know, I can get what I need for it's half off. I can buy more with my contribution. We don't tend to make that connection yet. Real wealth is made during recessions and depressions. It's not made in when everyone's real estate prices and 401ks are booing up. It's really made during a time like now, because what happens in a time like now when inflation is high and people are having to make choices, well, people that abuse debt and take out loans, they're not able, sometimes they then have to sell that home or sell a particular investment lower than they'd want to. So they get the system clears out because they have to make good on that debt. Whereas people that have a healthy relationship with money and don't abuse that, well, they're still able to add into those investments, their retirement accounts. The people who have an emergency fund and don't abuse that, they get way ahead in times where adversity hits. Another Another thing people don't realize is when the market's choppy and there's fear in the market, it actually lends itself to some great planning opportunities within your own portfolio. So for example, right now with the market being so turbulent is a great time to revisit your asset allocation. Certain asset classes that would be normally safe, like bonds in a rising rate environment, will get hurt as the rates go up. Whereas to rebalance and look to move around your money in your retirement account is a huge opportunity right now with the market pullback. So having some systems in place, having the courage to step forward and to actually take a look at it, and then working with a professional. I know you and I spoke earlier that you have someone that you work with that's been very influential in your personal financial life. And a professional can give you a different perspective. And they also are students of the industry where they understand history. One of the things about this recession is I personally don't think it's any more special than all the other recessions. (laughs) I think I've been through 50 of these in my career. Like, yeah, it's not so special. And statistically, it's most likely going to respond and rebound 
similar to all the other ones. We always get caught up in the drama of it and the drama can help us lose focus of the plan, but having a plan and having some systematic steps are so, so important. And so that's in my book, I map out eight steps and systematic ways for women to take control, to demystify it, to de-shame it, and then actionable because it doesn't take a big step to make a profound difference in your financial journey, but it does require action. Well, so let's get into that a little bit. So if I was somebody who hadn't really been paying much attention to my money and is listening to us right now and thinking, huh, maybe, okay, maybe it's time for me to get a little more serious about this. How could I get started? What would be some first things for me to do? First thing would be important to understand the here and now. There's two things. Understanding your cash flow. What kind of income do you have coming in? And getting an understanding of where are you choosing to spend that money. Certain expenses you have, you need to have like gas in your car, turning on the lights, food, probably insurance, having a a well understanding of those. But then also having an understanding of the discretionary. You know what you want to do, the trips. But if you can know like what you need and then also reflect on like what has been your pattern of Mm -hmm. behavior. And that's where looking at those statements, looking at where your credit, most credit card companies will actually even summarize your expenses for you so you can break it down as to where you're spending things. But having an understanding of your cash flow. And then the other one is your assets and liabilities. If you have liabilities and owe money, being really clear on how much you owe and what are the terms that you owe it. Credit card debt tends to be the most expensive debt. That's usually the debt that's worth prioritizing first. So the assets and liabilities, getting real about what you owe, the terms of it. I like putting people going through an exercise where we calculate how much they're paying the banker each year for the privilege of keeping to owe them money. When you add it up, that's like for some people, it's substantial, like quite a few amazing trips worth of interest. (laughs) And people are really shocked by that because they're used to paying a certain amount of payment each month without the understanding of realizing that most of it's just going to interest and not servicing the debt. And then your assets, what do you have? Do you have a retirement plan through work, IRA, Roth IRA, setting up an emergency fund? Setting aside and saving money for yourself is one of the biggest things you can do for self-respect. It's the most loving thing you can do. As women, we're going to live longer. Statistically, we're going to be alone at some point in our life. And no one's coming. There's no Prince Charming, There's no Prince Charming on a horse right? coming to save us. Right. right. We're not a socialized country. You know, there is no one that's going to come up to save you making sure you're prioritizing and paying yourself first. I know that's something a lot of people have heard, and yet it's so important. That is the most important thing. So understanding your cash flow and then understanding your assets and liabilities are usually the building blocks. And with those, then you can work out a plan of how to maximize your efforts to get to where you want to be. 
And that's really where somebody like you, who's a certified financial planner, can really be helpful, right? In helping people figure out like, okay, this is what I have. This is what I owe. This is what my plan is either in my Excel spreadsheet that I created or that I chotted down on paper or that's just in my head of how I think I'm going to be able to live for the next however many years it is that I think I'm going to live. So I right now am 57 years old. Women in my family live well into their 90s. My mom was joking with me at some point many years ago. And she's like, I think you need to start smoking again and eat a lot more bacon. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, women in our family just live forever. And there's stuff about that that's great. And there's stuff about that that's a challenge. And obviously, if we continue to have the thought that we retire in our 60s or now maybe in our early 70s, and then we're going to live for another 25 years, how are we going to continue to fund that? I saw the other day, I don't remember exactly what the statistic is, but a lot of women end up in their elderly years in poverty because we haven't saved enough money because we thought that something magical was going to happen. We all can become victims at some point or another of magical thinking, and it's just all going to work out okay. But if we don't really have a plan, talk about the cost of not paying attention. If we don't have a plan, we can end up in a bad place. And so whether we've got 50 bucks or 500 bucks or 50,000 bucks that we could be putting aside, I would think that that's when a financial planner could be really helpful in helping us figure, navigate that whole thing. It is so, so important. You're absolutely right. Women many times don't think they have the opportunity, yet they do. And I was amazed when people are living paycheck to paycheck, and yet they have beautiful nails, beautiful clothes, drive a beautiful car. Most really wealthy people don't spend a lot on expensive cars. And many times they don't live in an expensive house. They invest more in experiences, in education, in their community. There's a lot of pressure now, and certainly with the iPhone and social media, that a lot of people are... They're buying things to impress people they don't even know. And if they did know them, they may not even like. So that financial peace of mind, I personally think is one of the sexiest things you could do for yourself is giving yourself peace of mind. So if you need to have help later on in life and you know you can afford to pay someone to come in, but it doesn't just happen. There's Medicaid does not provide for that. It's a pretty bleak existence. Putting aside money, ideally, people will ask me, well, how much should I be saving? And I've always said, and I still believe that ideally in the perfect world, an investor would save, have a goal of saving 30% of their income. And people are usually, when I suggest that, they get really shocked when I first say it. <laughs> and yet it's amazing Almost every one of them gets to that point where we save then 15% to the long-term goals for the retirement and 15% for their shorter-term goals, buying their first home. When they buy a car, being in a position so they can 
buy cash or pay most of it up front. Planning for those bigger purchases so you're not in this debt cycle of paying off debt and then rolling it over to another piece of debt. Those are the people that have the most options in life. They're the ones that get to choose like when and how they retire, where they live, kind of back to what we talked about, who they spend time with, how much they spend time with them and where they spend that time. So what if I am one of those folks who I saw the other day, like the average American And again, the number didn't stick with me, but it was more than $10,000. The average American has more than $10,000 in credit card debt. And the average American is not in a position where if they needed to, they could just pay that off. So what if I'm in a situation where I'm realizing like I have $10,000 or $20,000 or $50,000 or whatever the amount is, I have this debt. And there's a difference, of course, between debt that is for a business and debt that is personal, debt that is in your home, in your home loan versus car loan debt versus credit card debt. All of these things are different. And if I'm realizing, okay, if I got real, if I put on my big girl panties and actually really looked at this, I may be one of those people who's in thousands of dollars of credit card debt. How can I start making a dent in that? And should I be making a dent in that and saving, trying to do other things and put money into a 401k? Or should I really like work on just getting out of the debt and then work on the other stuff? It's important to have an emergency fund, even if you're servicing credit card debt. So in the perfect world, you'd have six months worth of living expenses. A lot of people, if you're servicing credit card debt, you're not going to have that luxury. So having a month's worth of living expenses would be a reasonable emergency fund to have. It's really important for those people to open up those statements, get real about the debt, look at it. And then also, I like taking clients through exercises of what types of purchases they're making. Because a lot of times it ends up being impulse purchases. And those are the ones, the discretionary purchases, that's the money that can be harnessed and take towards paying off the principal debt Mm -hmm. right off the top. If you go through that cash flow exercise and there's so much money per month that the person doesn't have to have and you automatically do an automatic payment to pay off that debt. And then already agree once that debt's paid off, that additional cash flow, if it's $500, a thousand, it can be a lot more than that. Then the next step of what to do with that money once it's paid off. So having a plan, one of the exercises, and I deal with a lot of women that are newly single, a lot of women have gone through divorce many times for those women It's the most important financial decisions of their life that they make during a marriage dissolution. But getting real about where they're spending the money, so many times it's for shopping therapy, trying to feel good, for them to go through their closet and actually shop for three things to give away to charity. That has many times the same level of serotonin hit of feel good shopping that it would go to buy yet another pair of black 
boots that have <laughs> 12 in their closet. Right. Really understanding what you have to have and what you want to have. Everyone wants to have mad money and impulse buying, just putting a cap on it, setting aside. I've even seen people be very successful at going to like an envelope system where mm-hmm. they'll pay themselves so much per month for those people that have a challenge with credit card. Because when you hand over a credit card or you're doing it off, off of your phone, it's all digital. You lose the connectiveness to the money and how hard you you work to earn that money to then yeah. just easily give it away. It all becomes sort of monopoly money. When it's on our phone, when it's a piece of plastic, when we're not actually dealing in cash. Can that be a good system to sort of go to a cash basis for a while so that you get back in touch with how much money you're spending? There's lots of research studies that show you spend 30% less than if you're paying cash. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Definitely. Right. And also limiting the number of credit cards you have. Making sure you keep separate your business from your personal. Some people commingle. It's harder to manage it and it just adds to the your accounting. And then also having a game plan before you go shopping, whether it's at the grocery store going with a list or if you're going to get a new pair of shoes because you need shoes, sticking to your game plan. So many times I think there's an opportunity. One of the exercises I love and I've seen a lot of success is really posting your goals. So if your goal is to pay off your debt, I love the exercise where I'll have clients will make a a worksheet of the highest interest debt first and listing it out. And we'll post it like in the bathroom or bedroom or closet, someplace that they're going to see every day and what their goal is to, for paying it off. And then systematically as they pay off chunks, then having a reward system. I think having couples do that together, having date nights to talk about finances, making it part of their communication, a bonding experience. I mean, those are the people that have the most fun with their money and aren't owned by their money are the ones that can talk about it freely. So I have a very good friend who is also an entrepreneur, has her own business, and we have set up systems in the past when one or the other, or sometimes both of us, had something that we were afraid to look at or afraid to do, or a phone call that we just really didn't want to make, or whatever that thing was that was just kind of hanging over us. And we would have what we called study hall. So we would get together and we used to do it once a month. We've sort of fallen off from it in part because we're both doing better managing our junk so that we're not getting into that place where it's like, oh God, I don't want to deal with that thing, whatever that is. And I think at different times, it can be really great if you have somebody It could be a spouse or a partner. It could be a child. It could be just a really good friend, like who, you know, if what you're going to look at is your money and your credit card debt, he or she is not going to have any junk about the fact that you have however much credit card debt you have. They're still going to love you. They're not going to shame or blame you about it. And it's going to be safe for you to look at 
whatever this thing is that you don't want to look at. It could be something about your medical history. We have junk in various domains of our lives. Have you had clients who had success in creating kind of that same buddy system to when they were going through various parts of getting their financial house in order that could be challenging or confronting to buddy up with somebody else? Absolutely. I love that. Yes. To have a buddy system that you can revisit. It's all about taking the shame away and being able to make progress, right? Right. right. So if that's a friend, if that's a family member, if that's your partner, it's also an opportunity for you to be able to boast about your progress. I mean, it's really empowering. I've had so many women come through our practice and so out of control with money and not having an idea of where anything is. And then suddenly to have systems and having like just a little bit of organization, it doesn't take a lot. And suddenly like they're just walking taller, feeling better. One of the things they love to do, and it's a safe place to come in here is to boast. Like we we love to celebrate those victories, paying off those credit cards and paying off like all debt. I mean, to live completely debt-free, that auto loan, those credit cards, no mortgage. If you add up how much you're spending towards financing that debt, I wonder how many nice things could you do for yourself, your family, your community with those resources? Right. That's really what it's about. It's about having your, your money serve you and not you being a slave to your money. Ah, okay. So we're starting to creep towards being on for an hour, which everyone that I get into conversations that I really enjoy with people that I really enjoy, it always (laughs) ends up being a little closer to an hour. So as we start thinking about wrapping up, is there anything that we haven't had an opportunity to talk about yet? Or if you had a microphone and could say something to everybody in the world, what would it be? Or sort of where would you like to leave people today? I don't want the listeners to realize they're worth it. They are worth spending time to prioritize themselves. And it's a Mm. magical journey to be able to prioritize yourself and just live a freer, easier life. So that would be what I'd want to share. Yeah. Uh, So if you hadn't figured out yet why I love me some Sarah Carlson, that would be it right there. If folks would like to be receiving the, the, the information on my book launch, Facing Financial Fears, Eight Steps to Financial Freedom for Women, they can go to my website at fulcrumfinancialgroup.com and sign up. They'll receive the alerts and be on the book launch. Awesome. And all of that will be in the show notes as well as how to reach out to Sarah if you would like somebody to just even help you think about how to get started. Or if you're further down the road and you would love somebody to help you do a little bit more sophisticated planning, Sarah can do all of that. And her contact info, as well as information about the book, will be in the show notes. So please go and check that out. Oh, Sarah, thank you so much for your life's work in helping people, especially women, get a handle on our money and help 
us to get rid of the junk that we've got about money so that we can have power in this really important area of life. I really appreciate you and all that you're up to in the world. Oh, Janine, what a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just one of your many fans, so really appreciate it. Thank you. You're more than welcome. I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams. I'm beginning